Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, we're going to talk about birth centers. In the modern era, we're blessed with many options for both pregnancy and birth provider types and labor and birth settings. Many people feel most comfortable giving birth in a hospital, and many are more comfortable out of the hospital. Of those, most give birth either at home or in an out-of-hospital birth center. My guest today is currently a birth center midwife. She became fascinated with childbirth after seeing the documentary, What Babies Want. She earned a bachelor's in psychology and then began working in the field of maternal and infant health and wellness. She completed four-year midwifery training at the National Midwifery Institute and has trained with Ina Mae Gaskin and the midwives at the farm in Tennessee, and has been attending births since 2010 as a doula, midwife assistant, apprentice, and licensed midwife, witnessing and supporting birth in many settings, including home, birth center, and hospital. She is now part of the Del Mar Birth Center team of midwives in South Pasadena, California. Haley Oaks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. You've been busy. Well done for reading that all. Thank you very much. I memorized it all. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about what babies want. What is that movie about? And when, when did you see it? Yeah. So I saw it in the year 2006. I was a senior in high school. Wow. 18. Um, I was 18. Uh, So the film is a documentary about the consciousness of infants, and it explores the growing research around perinatal psychology, of psychology of what happens in the womb. And as an 18-year-old, that sort of blew my mind that memories are laid down from an early age like that. And Wait a second, but as an 18-year-old, that would usually blow over people's heads. Like, I know, and I don't actually know. We ha- So I was taking an elective psychology course, and the psychology teacher happened to know this filmmaker who was a local uh, woman in the town where I grew up. And we could choose anything to study, and for some reason I did choose – I chose early childhood and breastfeeding for hmm. I don't know what reason other than somewhere <laughs> deep, you know. Do you have me. siblings? I have an older sister. Oh, so you're the baby. I'm the baby. I've always been interested in kids, and not from the sense of, like, I find them so cute and squishy and adorable, but more just, like, fascinating creatures. Mm-hmm. And They are. They are. And and that really, I mean, in this same class, we also had an exercise where we went out to the field and had to look at our shadow self and name our shadows, and mine was Bertha. So, like, really? so, <laughs> so, you know, somewhere, I was so fascinated with this whole process of course, in hindsight, I can line up all these things that led me to the place where I am now. But at the time, it was sort of like this random assignment and random uh, interest in, in this early childhood development phase. Um, so that led me into wanting to study psychology in an undergrad with the intent of studying child development. That elective? That elective alone, like the last class of my senior year. Wow. And my eyes just opened probably for the first time. <laughs> so I oh, really cool. thank that her, that teacher. School, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was the intent with studying psychology um, in undergrad. And um, when you were undergrad, were you still in the back of your mind focused on the maternal fetal yes, world? Yes. Yeah. Know? And I didn't know how I could sort of be involved. And I was living in New York City at the time, and uh, I stumbled across a prenatal yoga center. I literally looked up one day on 72nd Broadway, and there it was, the sign, and it was like drops of AC onto the street and one in my eye, and I was like, <laughs> there it is. That's the answer. And yeah. um, 
Yeah. So there I worked at the front desk and I worked there for three years. And there is where I learned about midwives and doulas and childbirth education. And and the light bulb went off. And that's when I decided to, that I would become a doula after I graduated. It's interesting. In the prenatal year, you have so much exposure because yeah. that's sort of like the community. That's where all the conversations happen. Exactly. And because it was a New York studio, the front desk was in the same room where they are doing yoga. And so they would talk about all their experiences with midwives and doctors. And I would type very slowly trying to get every bit of <laughs> deep, juicy detail. And, um, and, and you're it, like 20. Yeah. And it, and like just themes were coming up constantly of, of positive experiences with, um, with doulas and midwives and how it affected their bonding with their baby. And it just reaffirmed my fascination with that whole stage. Did At that point, did you want to be involved in psychology like a psychologist? I thought so. In the pregnancy world? Yeah, I thought so. And, and actually at the time, I'm not sure about it now, but the only uh, institute where it was offering a graduate program in perinatal psychology was UCSB, which is where I'm from Santa Barbara. So oh. <laughs> that was in the back of my head of like, oh, perfect, I'll get a graduate degree in this. And then the idea of becoming a doula became, it felt like a, a way to kind of get in there faster and experience it from the get-go, kind of. I mean, it may only be in hindsight, but there's so many clear, like, it's sort of like, feels to me like a video game where all right. of a sudden there's an arrow that says, okay, go this way, go this way, go, yeah. go that way. Yeah. You know, it, a drop of water from an air conditioner falls in your eye and you're like, now you're in the middle of a prenatal yoga class Totally. Yeah. In hindsight, I mean, obviously And then UCSB... <laughs> I know. The only program. The only program is in the town where I'm from. Yeah. So I mean, but it, it. I think sometimes a lot of us have those little arrows pop up, but we're not so aware of them mm-hmm. or don't pay attention to them. So yeah. it's also kind of neat that you like really followed followed what was calling you. Yeah. I mean, it was also the same year where we read Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. So I was very much <laughs> prepared to like listen to those you know, signs. And, and um, yeah. it was a good year, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you became a doula. Still became in New York? No, actually, I never worked as a doula in New York. I was focusing on finishing my degree and working. And it was always the plan to actually come back. I, I had seen the business of being born at that time, too. So I knew I wanted to train with Anna Paula Markel in L.A. And really, months after I flew home, I sought her out. I sought out the next training and, and did it. Oh, so, so we're doula siblings because we trained with the same. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> the best of the best. Good to know. She's the best of the best. Yeah. She's been on here. We have an episode with Aww. her on, on doulas. I missed that. Um, so you did your training here in California. Mm-hmm. And did you jump right in? To birth? the birth world. Well, going, attending birth. I, I did. Um, I was actually working at a maternity store in Santa Barbara. And of course so, Of course I was, right? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the... Uh, clients who came in was pregnant and um, she was looking for a doula and and um, she was looking for a doula because her current one her she broke her leg and oh, wow. so she was looking for sort of a backup and or an assistant to her doula so I signed on for that and and that was my first birth Did that I'd ever attended a backup or an assistant I was really an assistant to so the broken leg doula came too she came and I was just mostly carrying her stuff for her and but helping that's her kind down of cool for your first birth yeah I think the first birth is terrifying for people like you have this training but there's a lot of responsibility and you have no experience 
Yes. So and it's this, really neat to watch somebody with experience and fine, I'll carry your stuff. Show me, you know, how exactly. this works. It was, a, it was a wonderful trade that she let me in, you know, to her client space and I got to help her with what she actually needed help with. Um, and this was a second time mom. So there really wasn't a lot to do. Uh-huh. Um, but that was also what made another light bulb go off of like, oh, I'm in for for good because it was so it was so hands off. And it went from, you know, we, we check in, she's four centimeters. And shortly thereafter, she's complaining about her back and needs to move on to her hands and knees. And it was sort of, I remember it as this movie where she's on her hands and knees and it's dark in the room except this one light is on her back and you know hospital gowns of an opening in the back well, yeah. and you can see her back uh, moving like almost like this dry heaving motion and she was pushing huh. and she didn't even she didn't say anything and and it was kind of silent and and the doula who was assisting just quietly sort of lifted her, her gown and it was like a full crown oh wow and I was just sort of standing there in <laughs> awe and, and then doula asked me to go get the nurse because she couldn't and the nurse ended up catching the baby, you know, moments later, and it was just an insanely spectacular experience. That's and, the first time you witness a baby come out. Yes, from somebody. Yeah, but not in a movie. <laughs> not in a movie, and 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 you know, but had I been alone, that would have been a lot to handle. It was nice that I got to kind of step back, and and her doula really got to be verbally, you know, and physically oh, right. supportive. Yeah, if you just noticed the full crown. Right. <laughs> just like, what is that? Yeah. Um, did you get emotional? I, I, you know, I was just, I was like shocked and sort of just high the rest of the night. I couldn't go to sleep. I was supposed to go to work the next day and I showed up in the same work clothes because I spent the night in the area where she had given birth and that, because it was kind of far from my house. And um, yeah, I just remember being in awe and just sort of so much glee from yeah. something like that. I've I've taken some doulas to train them, and um, a lot of times, especially the ones I've trained several who don't have kids of their own, also like you hadn't mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and then just once the baby comes out, they have these big emotional responses, mm-hmm. like really big. Like yeah. I'm sort of become a doula to two people. <laughs> right. Yes. For a minute, right there. Yeah. No, that that wasn't. That, that wasn't, wasn't my experience. No, it was like a very. But you got the high because that I'm familiar with the high. Yeah. Do you still get the high? Mm-hmm. Oh, you do. <laughs> I mean, there are some births that definitely affect me still. That you know, you walk into a coffee shop and you want to tell the barista everything that you just experienced, and they're like, "How's your day?" And you're just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> if you if only you only knew. knew what these hands. Uh, no. It okay. How'd you end up in the form? So after I became. A doula, and I went to my first birth. I was like, now what? And so I was working closely with a, a midwife in Ventura who had a birth center, and she wanted me to start assisting for her at births. And she felt the best way for me to be trained was to go to the farm where they offered midwife assistant training. And I thought, sure, what better way than to go to go there? And also it's a pretty historical site. And in the birth world, Ina May Gaskins, you know, revered and and so it was amazing to live on the farm for two weeks and and work closely with Ina May and Pam and 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 learn a lot actually. It's a two week program? Yeah. Is it a group of people? It is a group of midwife assistants. And they all come from different parts of the country? The... Different parts of the country, different backgrounds. A lot of them are doulas themselves. Do you stay in touch with them still? I don't, oh. sadly. Well, you know Seemed like a, a big bonding. You guys should make a little reunion. We should. See where everybody's at it's now. a long time ago now. Yeah. yeah. Um, how was the farm? 
amazing, incredible. It was really special to be walking on the grounds that they started from nothing. Um, and Stephen Gaskin, Ina May's husband, was alive at the time, and he just had incredible stories of the trial and errors of when they got there and how they would grow things. And um, and there were still the original buses that they had traveled on from San Francisco to Summertown, Tennessee, no kidding. in the back of some of the people's houses. And it was it was amazing. It was really sort of like this history. History, yeah. That's really cool. And, uh, of course, her books are are game changers for a lot of people. Um, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, I think, in particular for someone who's – usually the progression I see is someone will see the business of being born and then not too much later they're reading Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. And it's just um, some of the most incredible births that I've been invited to participate in and witness uh, – I would say afterwards, I'm like, how did you get to that magical place where you just seemed like you were floating? And she's like, oh, I know got to childbirth. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that you got to like be there and yeah. live it with her. And those birth stories are key. Even if I would say, you know, you don't read the rest of the book or even do a pretty thorough childbirth education class, that reading again and again how it works and that it does work and all the way it all the way it works is is really so instrumental to childbirth. The first third of her of that particular book is all birth stories, yes. essentially told by the moms. Mm-hmm. Um, do you keep track of how many births you've attended? I do on my phone, actually. I, every, you do? After every birth, I, I I write in the mom's name and the baby's name. No kidding, really? From day one? From day one. Wow, that's foresight. And um, as of this recording? 289 births attended and 89 catches. Wow. And in the recent months... There's been a lot of, um, not a lot, but I've had students. It's a lot of experience. So they catch, and so, but I, st- I don't catch it as mine. I mean, I don't. I don't you don't count it as a catch? Count it's it, like yeah. baseball. <laughs> exactly. It's, well, you don't get credit for that run. Right. Uh, that's still, that's a, that's a lot of experience. You've seen a lot. Yeah. And you also have been in all, in various different birth settings, right? Home, yes. hospital, birth center. In your mind, are, like, are there different nuances? Not to generalize specifically, but I sort of feel like there are certain, there's a way of birth, a flow of birth at a hospital versus a home versus a birth center. Completely. There are different themes, I would say, and the feelings that go along with each setting, whether it's home, birth center, hospital, car. <laughs> Um, uh, there's, there's quite a few cars. <laughs> quite, a few, quite a few car births that happen. Uh, well, I see that birth plan where it's like, I'm going to labor at home as long as I can and then drive to the hospital to push. But, in, you know, that drive. <laughs> right. It's chaotic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say home, even though, you know, I work at a birth center, I would say that home is is generally the most relaxed setting in that someone who chooses a home birth is typically very trusting and comfortable with the birth process and they're in the comfort of their own home and there's just a general sense of ease as the midwife goes to the client um, she can check in and out and uh, there's just a there's no sense of needing to protect her or have this like safety bubble it's just all there in existence that makes a lot of sense and it, I, I like that you said generally because there's a handful of memorable births where um, a client chose home birth because she knew she didn't want to give birth at a hospital but she also 
wasn't quite sure she wanted to give birth outside the hospital. Correct. And so for her, it's the lesser of two evils, which can go the opposite way. Yes. And that's what we see. I would say a lot of people come to the birth center for that very reason. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting on the fence about their trust in birth, that they're not so down with home birth, but they really don't like hospitals. And they are really just wanting great care. And they're wrapping their head around what it means to have a natural birth and, and to experience it without any medication. Um, so the you know there's a little bit more procedures and protocols at a birth center. They have to get up and leave their house and come to the birth center. It's a, it's a site. So they're going somewhere to have their baby. Um, they kind of anticipate things being done to them. So the happy medium sort of where you're not at a hospital and you are going to try to do it um, sort of on your own without interventions, but you're also not at home. And after the break, we'll talk about more, much more specifically about birth centers and what they have to offer that's different than home or hospital. Um, and then there's, of course, hospital birth, where a lot of people feel comfortable birthing as well. Mm-hmm. And then you, you can bring a doula and you can labor at home and still go to the hospital afterwards. And for some people, that's a happy medium. Absolutely. And I would say it's it's absolutely possible to have um, a positive birth experience in the hospital. You just have to work a little bit harder at creating that, that bubble of feeling safe and supported, like bringing your team and, and having a really good childbirth education preparation series and um, kind of being very aware of all the possibilities that can happen uh, so you're not blindsided that a hospital is a hospital and there's going to be protocols that may be not in line with what you want. I think, you know, I was recently at a hospital, a local hospital, who I think is trying very hard to diversify the birth experience and cater to different people's wants and desires during birth. And um, that's pretty noble. But they also had a community outreach program. And they said something like, but you just have to be aware that if you buy a hospital ticket, you're going on a hospital ride. And that was coming from the hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's important to realize, which is that, you know, they have a comfort zone. They have a certain way. They're not bad people. They have a a certain way of doing things. I think most of the doctors who practice in a hospital and make decisions either for or sort of with patients would make the same decisions for themselves. Absolutely. And if that's what you're buying into, you have to sort of be prepared for that ride. I think it's a fair statement. Yeah. And to remember that you are going in being the exception, not the norm, by asking for all those things that they don't do. If you're asking to, to you know, have your baby in a hands and knees position, that's just out of the norm. And so, you know, they're, they're, it actually, they may feel unsafe catching your baby that way. And so sometimes you do have to kind of sacrifice those things so that your care provider can provide the safest care, which is the kind of hospital ride. I just had an OMG flashback to a day when you came to the office uh-huh. and shadowed me around. And um, I don't know where that was in your journey. It was a while back. A while back. Um, but on that day, I was I was really inspired by you. Really? You, yeah, you were, you still are, but you were even younger. Mm-hmm. You had no kids. Mm-hmm. You were so passionate and so driven on your birth journey. I don't, I don't think midwife was even a thing yet. No. Like you hadn't been thinking about it. Just as a doula. And I was like, where does that come from? But now I understand a lot more about it. And um, it really made me feel like Stephen Covey, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. his second habit is begin with the end in mind. Mm. 
And I think for a lot of us, it's like we don't even realize where we want to go until we've gone quite a distance in the wrong direction. Yeah. So at that point, I already felt like, how cool is it that you're so young and so driven and so focused on something that you haven't experienced at all? Yeah. And um, it does not surprise me at all that you've ended up taking it this far. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. And it's also a gift because all of our clients that work with you are head over heels in love. That's very kind. They with say that, the same about you. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, in one case, they're telling the truth. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk all birth center all the time. Join us in a moment with Haley Oaks. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we are continuing our discussion about birth centers, and we are here with birth center midwife, Haley Oaks. Welcome back. Thank you. All right. So the number one question I get about um, birthing out of a hospital are the what-ifs, right? There's a lot of people who feel like birth is pretty natural, birth is pretty normal. They'll watch animals give birth on YouTube, and there's not like a doula and a partner and a a nurse and a, all this equipment, and they just seem to like figure it out and do it. So they're curious and they want to see if they can birth outside the hospital, but there's too many what ifs. How do you address the what if questions? So I I actually listened to the previous podcast with Dr. Trevere, and I really liked what he said in that he, he said that people plan for these acute issues that can come up, the most rare situations of, of what if something horribly traumatic happens. And First of all, I would say we have to back up to prenatal care. That's the whole reason prenatal care is happening is that we're constantly evaluating your risk and and status as a as a safe candidate for an out-of-hospital birth. So say you go through the whole pregnancy and you're still low risk and still healthy, no hypertension, no diabetes, and you get to the labor process and know that in an out-of-hospital setting, it's your midwife who is laboring with you the entire time. Mm-hmm. In a hospital setting, the nurse is with you the entire time, calling in the orders to the OB, and the OB shows up at the end. And also that RN has a lot of clients to take care of, and we are typically one-to-one with our with our clients. Maybe there's another woman in labor in the other room at the birth center. Um, but for the most part, our eyes and hands are on that client, and we are constantly evaluating and assessing Again, the risk and safety of of the birth center as the birth setting. You know, there's there's just a different model. It's such a different model, midwific versus obstetric model. And the midwific model is so holistic. Um, I, you know, the joke is that you 
wait an hour to see your OB for five minutes and wait five minutes to see your midwife for an hour. And Dr. Fishbein always says, I have no idea what I would talk to a woman about for an hour in a prenatal visit. Right. right? But sometimes your hour goes by so quickly because you're not just looking at how big is the belly pee in this cup. It's how's your mental health? How's your nutrition? How are you feeling? You know, what else is, is happening in your life? And then when you're monitoring them in labor, you know so much about them that you can sometimes detect when something's off without a monitor, without a machine, quicker than a monitor or machine from down the hall. And mm-hmm. I, I truly feel that way, that sometimes if something were to come up in labor, you'd probably spot it and treat it faster. Correct. Not being in the hospital than when you are in the hospital. Correct. But of course, sometimes the opposite is true as well. Yeah. And so, yes, if if we are seeing something that is happening that is outside of our norm, um, prenatally, pre, sorry, in, in labor, oh, in, in labor, labor. Um, then you know, and this is like a yellow, a yellow flag. Something is kind oh, of happening. I call them pink flags. Pink, yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice one. Because you you don't stick around to wait and see if it becomes white or red. Right, you that's take true. Action. And so we take corrective measures, and we have a discussion with the client, and we say if X, Y, and D doesn't resolve in this amount of time, you know, it's a discussion of transfer. Um, and so we we do transfer on the earlier side for that reason, that we're not waiting for there to be a dire, urgent situation. Um, I think that a lot of people picture a transfer from an out-of-hospital birth as always being lights and sirens, code one, emergency, I shouldn't have done this. Whereas in reality, it's almost never that. It's almost never that. 90% of the time, it's not that. 90% of the time, it's a conversation with your midwife about the fact that you're exhausted, the, you know, the client is exhausted, progress is no longer taking place, and really the best way of achieving a vaginal birth is to go to the hospital and have an epidural and rest. Possibly you may need Pitocin to augment things, but for the most part, rest and gear up the strength to push out your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this idea that transferring must mean a cesarean section, and that's very much not the case. I would say out-of-hospital birth uh, C-section rates probably range anywhere from three to seven percent. Wow! And that's a huge difference to the national right thirty-three. Yeah, thirty-three percent. So, yeah. And climbing. And you know, for the specifics of the what ifs, um, I would say the big questions that come up from partners specifically, as that's mostly their concern of safety. You know, what if there's a cord wrapped around the neck? That's a big. That's a big one. And um, or what if there's meconium? What if um, what if we need to call nine one one? And and where do we go? And so we we have a we have long discussions about this not only in the prenatal well in the in the prenatal period but also in labor. There's constantly discussions. It's never this thing of like we thrust the idea of transfer onto them and it's this traumatic event of changing birth set, birth settings. Um, in your training, you are trained for more significant emergencies. Mm-hmm. What kind of training and equipment would you have at a birth center? So we actually carry all the same equipment that a home birth would carry uh, as far as medical emergency supplies. Um, this in, this includes anti-hemorrhagic medications, so things like Pitocin, Methogen, Cytotec, actually all the same medication that a hospital has for that very reason of stopping mm-hmm. bleeding. Um, an oxygen tank, oxygen mass, uh, suctioning tools to help with the baby in case there's secretions, meconium. Um, we have an amni hook to help if we need to artificially break the bag of waters to help with progress. We have IV fluids, uh, numbing medication like lidocaine and suturing materials to repair any lacerations. 
sterile gloves, gauze, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, the, and when you say at a home birth, those are the things that a midwific team would bring to the home birth. Yes. Uh, I know at our home birth, there were like duffel bags. And it looked right. like mash, really. <laughs> yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. Yeah. So instead <clears> of <throat> a birth center, it's all just sort of set up, you know. It's kind of like tucked away neatly. You don't really it see is. it over yeah. there. Um, your birth center is beautiful. Thank you. Um, so we this episode is really about birth centers. So let's talk about some of the pros and cons of birth center versus home mm-hmm. and birth center versus hospital. What kind of things do you have at a birth center? or What are the advantages of birth center versus being at home or sure. being at a hospital? So I would say the biggest advantage, specifically Del Mar Birth Center, is the proximity to a hospital uh, site, which for a lot of people is very reassuring and comforting. We are four minutes from Huntington Hospital. It's it's like two miles. I think one of our clients' partners timed it. One time they had to transfer, and it was four minutes from leaving the birth center to the ER, um, where I think the average time to move from a labor and delivery unit to an OR could be 10 minutes, so Mm -hmm. it's pretty good. Yeah. so the proximity to a hospital is a big pro. Um, the idea that you go somewhere perhaps more serene and calm than your own home. It's clean. It's very spa-like. Again, I'm speaking for Del Mar Birth Center. There are many different kinds of birth centers with different aesthetics and styles. But for the most part, you are moving out of your home, which may be preferable if you live in an apartment with close neighbors, if you have other children and you don't want to disturb them and or for them to be a part of the birth experience if they wake up right as you're pushing. You're living with your mother-in-law. Correct. Good. Um, the cleanup is something that people actually factor in. This idea that you have a home birth and it's like a scene out of Dexter and the, thinking that they have to cover everything with plastic tarp and um, the laundry. And so this idea that we kind of take care of everything and clean up for them is is great. Well, I'll say we had three babies at the hospital and one at home. Uh-huh. And two things that uh, surprised me about the home birth that nobody really warned me about. First of all, um, somebody could have said, because we just used our built-in tub in the house. It's a big tub. Somebody could have said, hey, put a towel you don't care about right next to the tub. So when she takes that step out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of was dexterous at 3.45 in the morning, I was at the 24-hour drugstore getting hydrogen peroxide and toothbrush so right. that when my kids woke up, it wasn't gooey. Right. Crime scene It can be. It can be messy. And the other thing is, at least Cedar sinai has this delicious cocktail of apple juice, orange juice, and cranberry mm. juice, and you don't get that at home. It's true. It's true. So, with a straw. Those like are th- you. With a big straw and yeah. some ice. See, those are things to consider. It's true. Um, um, but you, it, I do have patients that want to give birth at a birth center, even though they have homes that are, are totally adequate and, mm-hmm. and beautiful and they have tubs that would be great. Uh, one of them described it to me as sort of like eating out. You know, I have a great kitchen, a nice dining room, but I like to just go out and somebody else prepares the food and cleans up after us and we just go home. Sure. Yeah, it is sort of this feeling of like you're checking into this wellness facility and you have your baby in this beautiful room and being taken care of by staff. And then once you're all, you know, clean and stable and ready to go, you get tucked in your car and drive home. Only four to six hours after the birth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's another thing. Uh, Well, we'll get to that in just a sec. So um, what kind of things you have in your center? You have these beautiful tubs, Mm -hmm. and they're the LED, Mm -hmm. and they're um, they fill up pretty quick compared to uh, like the hospital tub. Yes, at our hospital, it just feels like there's a little <laughs> droplet. You know, by the, by the time, time it's full, right. she's nine and a half centimeters, and she's not allowed to get in anymore. Right. And also in the birth center, you can you can not just labor, but you can deliver in the tub. Correct. 
Um, yeah, so the built-in tubs are nice and they're really deep, which I think surprises a lot of women, especially taller women, that they can actually be fully submerged, submerged in the water. Yeah. We have handles in there that they can that are um, movable, so they can use them to pull or push when when in the pushing phase or put their feet against them. Um, and then I would say the biggest thing is the option of of nitrous oxide. Mm-hmm. So that's something that is not available at home, um, and it really can be beneficial for a lot of our clients, especially those who do come with a little bit more anxiety about birth and mm-hmm. the process, and they just need a little something to kind of make them not care so much about mm-hmm. the That's a really good way to put it. It looks, for people who end up liking nitrous, which is not everybody, mm-hmm. it looks like it not necessarily dulls the pain, but it dulls the anxiety about the pain. Mm-hmm. So like a little bit of anti-anxiety. Yeah. Like a Breath of anti-anxiety. Exactly. Air. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> the, the big, I can the, use that during right, the day right now. Times. Yeah. <laughs> um, oftentimes, partners will, you know, joke about wanting to you know, just try it out. <laughs> yeah, just like, no, just want to try it out. You know? um, but yeah, the most common response to knowing that it works is when you ask a client, you know, how do you feel, and they say, I don't know. And that's, <laughs> that's that's really perfect. like it's perfect. It's working. You did know yes. a minute ago. <laughs> exactly. Um. In your mind, are there downsides to a birth center versus home? Uh, sure. I mean, the fact that you have to leave your house, you have to get in the car. And um, we are an accredited birth center, which means that we can really have a we can only have a client for a certain amount of time. So that means we have to be judicious about when we admit her, technically admit her. So that means we have to admit her when she's active in labor. And this doesn't just mean her contraction pattern. It means that she should be at least six centimeters. Oh, when she gets to the birth center? Correct. No matter what baby? No. That's first the time. first baby. First okay. baby. Because that's uh... a... <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. That would be a different story. Um, so... The downside is that you possibly could get sent home multiple times if you're if it's just not time. Do you teach moms to check themselves? No. Hmm? No, I, you know I, I've I've heard in the past from other midwives that just don't do it correctly, and then they panic a little bit at home, and then mm-hmm. you get there and they're maybe only two centimeters, and um, and I would say a lot of our clientele probably wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. They're <laughs> waiting for the app. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and us to just do it for them, take care of it for them. Yeah. Um, I think the Delmar cervical dilation app would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Like an ultrasound just for your cervix. Exactly. Yeah. Hold your phone right over here. Um, other downsides would be that, again, there are certain sort of protocols and, and regulations of... of um, like of, of what the midwife can, what kind of care she can provide for you. Whereas at home, she can come and go as she pleases. There's not so much maybe a set standard of of how um, many centimeters she should be dilating at a certain time um, because usually birth centers have a higher volume. So we just have to take that into account if we have maybe 10 other people who are due um, if this person really should be at the birth center right I was wondering about that because you have multiple rooms there. Yeah, three rooms. Three rooms, but you have a lot of clients, so. We do. You you could end up in a situation where. We have. Uh Uh-huh. And it was very exciting. I mean, I actually wasn't there. I was watching from afar because we have online medical records. I was just checking, and it was like watching this soap opera. Oh, they were all going at the same time. Oh, wow. Um, But the way it worked out was that three, the third room, um, that that particular client was just finishing up postpartum. So uh, she left 
a little on the earlier side so that this woman laboring could come in and use. So that was the fourth person that day. You you said typically about four to six hours after the baby comes? Uh, that they go home, oh, they yeah. Leave. And that's really, um, it sounds fast, but in a hospital setting, about three hours is when you're moved from labor and delivery to the postpartum maternity ward. That's when you're considered stable. So for us, that's also when you're considered stable. But we also allow for a few extra hours to nap, eat, take a bath, shower, hang with family, take photos. And I would say that birth high and the need for a nap comes on quite quickly, um, or the birth high, you know, goes down and the need for a nap kind of comes on around the hour five, six, and they're wanting to just be in their own bed. What um, per- percentage of people roughly do you, would you say, do a birthing center and want to be in water? I would say 100% of clients labor in the water. Oh, really? Yes. It's so helpful and beneficial. And I would say maybe 40% actually end up having their baby in the water. And do, do they get out because they're just had too much water or? They get out because perhaps the water is slowing the contractions down and or. Oh, so you bring them out. We, yeah, it's, it's, it's oftentimes midwife suggested that they get out. Um, they themselves are too hot in there and they don't feel comfortable anymore. Or they're pushing and pushing and pushing. It's just not working in the tub and they, they need gravity and the ground or something to sit on like a toilet or a birth stool to help. How long do you leave the babies in water when it's a water birth before you pull them out the surface? So we let the head uh, be born, and then we wait for the next contraction, which could be a minute or four minutes, as long as the baby's head color looks good. And then when the next contraction comes, the shoulders naturally rotate and the body comes out. When the body is coming out, we don't let the baby just sort of take a swim and hang out in there. We, we pretty swiftly bring the baby up to the mom's chest. And it's not till the moment they're born and hit air that they do take that first cry. However, I don't really see the benefit of them, like, swimming. Swimming longer? Yeah. <laughs> so if there's no benefit. Yeah. And I think moms, you know, oftentimes they want to reach down and grab their baby, and they do so naturally kind of quickly. I mean, I will say... One of the sharpest memories in my mind, even though it's a long time ago now, is at our home birth when my wife brought our little guy's face from just beneath the surface Mm. through the surface, Mm. and you can see him take his first breath. Wow. And that just usually is a moment that's lost. You don't get to see it. Yeah. And um, it's one of the clearest, sharpest moments in, in my brain. It's never gotten dull. That's amazing. And that's actually something that is nice to hear from clients because I think as healthcare providers and someone who gets used to their setting can sometimes move a little quickly and a little clinically. And I have to remind myself to slow down sometimes. And and um, and part of that is, is waiting for the next contraction when the head comes out. A lot of midwives don't wait. They just sort of, the head comes out and you just deliver the rest of the body. But there's there's really a reason to pause, both for the baby and the mom, to kind of process and take things in. And also, it helps the delivery. It's it's actually a lot more seamless. Um, so, yeah, that's nice to hear and a nice way of transitioning from water to air. I'll try yeah. that. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Sure. At least I can do. Yeah. Um, all right. I, another thing that I think is pretty cool about Del Mar is that you guys are kind of, you have shifts. 
Mm-hmm. So, whereas sometimes it's nice to have a midwife who will be your midwife no matter what. Um, if your midwife just got back from a three-day birth um, and she's your midwife no matter what, he or she, I should say, mm-hmm. is your midwife no matter what, um, at some point you might wish you had a different midwife. Yeah. And so to a degree, you guys are always kind of refreshed. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of it is you always get a fresh midwife. And so we typically do 24-hour shifts from 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. And so, um, which is nice because when the sun comes up and maybe you've been up all night, you meaning the client's been up all night laboring and the sun comes up and with that comes like a freshly showered, you know, bright-eyed midwife with lots of new ideas to get this labor going and or just new insight and a new, pers- you know, something else to bring to the table. Yeah, sometimes that energy we were talking about during the break when that happened, mm-hmm. sometimes that just shift in energy is what you need to move things uh, yes. get the ball rolling again. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. I can talk to you forever. It's great. I do have a question. Do you have any other, you know, thoughts? You've, you've, again, been in all these different birth settings. Um, Your experience in a birth center, you know, are there any other thoughts or, or questions that people have that I didn't bring up yet? I would say, you know, when considering an out of hospital birth, also, you know, ask the question of what what makes a good candidate emotionally and psychologically Um, because I think there's an idea that when you don't want to be in the hospital and you want to go with midwives, you can sort of do whatever you want because midwives will give you all the options in the world. Um, But there is something to be said about safety and and, and if we're recommending, and this really goes for out-of-hospital birth in general, but if we're recommending treatment plans and um, remedies to keep you low risk that there is a little bit of following along with um, that program and keeping you and keeping you low risk and and making sure that um, you're a safe candidate for out-of-hospital birth. You know, you've been doing this for a long time since basically since you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. And um, you've witnessed almost a few hundred people mm-hmm. go through the journey and give birth. You don't look burnt out at all. Thank you. Are you? <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. Um, I kind of wonder from your perspective, because one of the things that's been most difficult for me, um, challenging, I should say, as a doula, has been to be a doula for a doula. Mm. I've never been a doula for a midwife. Wait, have I? I might have been a doula for a midwife. Ah. But to be a doula for a doula who's seen so much and been there so many times, um, you don't have kids yet, but do you think about it and how how all your experience would affect you? Yeah. I think about it a lot. I'm actually pregnant. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're kidding. Surprise. Wow. Um, and so you heard, it, you heard it here you first. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's public now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, and I, 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 I do think about that. And already, I mean, I'm 14 weeks, and already it's been oh, yeah. such an experience the of, world needs more of people oh, well, such an experience of it's like truly field work, you know, and such an experience of already having so much empathy and understanding and to intrinsically understand what I've been reiterating for years, you know, from books and experience. And so well, that goes the other way. So like now you can relate to your clients yes, more yes. than you could before like in a way that I'll never be able to. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but, but also, you know, there is a sense of, I mean, I've had 
bad Chinese food and had contractions once every three minutes, <laughs> right. lasting about a minute apiece with exactly. uncomfortable rectal pressure. Hopefully but, no bloody show. And... Well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> TMI? Right. But, but the other way, like as you start to plan your later stages of pregnancy in your own birth, yeah. you have so much... I know, and that you know. I know, and and I and I've watched other midwives give birth, and I've asked all of them, you know, what, how did you turn that part off, you know, because that is a concern of mine that that brain and that knowledge will perhaps get in the way, um, but they all said the same thing: is that it it just does, and I think especially more so when you know it's when you know it so well, you can let it go so much more easily, and you can trust that all those signs of labor and all those little aches and pains are normal. And so that's the part that I'm actually really excited about is experiencing that sort of like severing of the head way of, of laboring in that you are just watching yourself from above and watching this whole process unfold because I've only witnessed it from the other side, like watching someone do that. So I'm excited. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, maybe you'll come back towards the end. Yeah, absolutely. We can do a little before and after, okay. <clears throat> which is where we bring you on to discuss right before you have your baby how you're feeling and how you're planning. Yeah. And then afterwards, you can talk us through how it went. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Where can we find you online? You can find me on – I am on Facebook, Haley Oaks. I'm on Twitter, The Oaks Midwife. I'm on Instagram as Hay Bales, H-E-Y-B-A-L-E-S. And also my blog of out of hospital birth stories called midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com. You're totally different on every platform. I know the the Facebook and Twitter <laughs> is really just a like a, a another vehicle for me to like keep channeling the the birth the birth stories. Um, but yeah, the Instagram is still personal slash uh, birth story stuff. Okay, but. You get all sides of me with yeah. all those different. <laughs> and even more sides now that you're growing a little human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Haley, thanks a million for being here and Thank sharing you. your insights and adventures in uh, birth center work. And at home, thanks for listening to us. If you have any questions or comments, send them to info at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot.